Ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing today? What a privilege and honor to be with you. As always, we have a tremendous episode for you today. We have neuroscientist Bob Davis on the podcast, and we talk about DMT, dimethyltryptamine, near-death experiences, telepathy, UFOs, and so much more. Bob really knows what he's talking about. He has a PhD in sensory neuroscience from Ohio State. Um, He taught. He has 60 articles in scholarly journals. He is a badass, and he really knows what he's talking about. So we talk about um, his his Kundalini experience experience, uh, DMT and psychedelics, telepathic experiences, um, mystical experiences, why meditation can can induce a non-dual experience. That's how he phrases it. Exploring the question, what is consciousness? Near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, remote viewing, the thousands of UFO cases, uh, belief and intention, the placebo effect, how to evolve spiritually, and so much more. This is a fantastic episode. If you want to support the show and get the vibe out, please take a screenshot. Tag me at Matt Belair. Let me know where you're listening on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. Share anywhere. Share often. It really helps. Make sure you tag me so I can thank you personally. Um, You can leave a review in iTunes. Those are pure gold. Every review is like a little ounce of gold to help spread the word. And I want to thank so much Jacques, Brian Jacques Music. He wrote Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. Matt is an engaging speaker. He doesn't bore you one bit and has infinitely interesting guests and conversations that really get you to think beyond your boundaries and inspire wonder and a sense of potential and optimism. It's not all roses, but it's about looking at life with open eyes and an open mind. Thanks for the positive content, Matt. So thank you so much, Brian, for taking a moment to leave that review. It helps immensely, and I appreciate it. If you want to support financially, Patreon is fantastic. It helps me buy groceries and uh, put gas in my car. Well, my car's gone, sadly. You're going to have to figure that out. I'm back on that train again. But, um, yeah, it really helps. And thanks to you so much to all my patrons. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Alberto Esparza for tossing a buck in the bucket. It helps immensely, and I deeply, deeply appreciate it. I want to thank my sponsor today, Procabulary.org. They are an absolutely tremendous program on how to master the power of word, how to use word to transform your reality. I've done a lot of study on neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, mind, copywriting, all that type of thing. And this program done by Mark England, who was on the podcast before, is just such a concise and powerful um, model on how to master language. So if you are looking to improve your life, um, words create. Words words are what you use to create your reality. So check them out, brocabulary.org. And if you use the checkout code WORDMAGIC, you will get $100 off. So check it out. Look at the reviews. It is a fantastic program. I highly recommend it. It will dramatically improve your understanding about the power of words and how to use them to positively affect your life. So go check them out. I also want to thank Himalaya Podcast app for supporting the show, for being a sponsor. They're epic. They're free. They're easy to use. You can download it free on the App Store. Um, The way that I like to do it is 1.25. I load up in the playlist and and I don't know if any other apps do this but it allows you to create a playlist with multiple shows so you've got you know I make a list and then I 
dig them out one at a time as I go to the gym. So check them out. They're free. They're easy to use. And um, when you're over there, give the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show a follow. So for those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you are really serious about learning more about either consciousness, spirituality, you want to move into more living your passion, you want some support in finding your soul purpose, your life calling, or leveling up in any way. I have designed specific courses for those who have never even considered it and are looking to move towards the passions, as well as those making progress and you want to learn more about high performance, um, law of attraction, the peak performance techniques that can really elevate you and take you to the next level. So if you're interested in some coaching, whether it's a one-on-one session or we're going to be working together for a while, hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and I am so stoked to hear from you and help you out. The same goes for your organization if you want to zoom me in, do some training for your clients, anything around peak performance, mindfulness at work, uh, flow state, all of that is accessible. Anything that we talk in the podcast, uh, happy to share, teach you and uh, support whatever you're up to. So that wraps this up. Let's get into today's episode. Oh, make sure you sign up for the email list and do all that kind of fun stuff. Um, So let's get into a coherent state together. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, compassion, energy, and personal empowerment. Ready to take on the rest of the day in this incredible episode. And before you do, also, I forgot the most important thing. Do one kind act for someone today. That's the best way to support the show. Wanted to remember that. So, all right, here we go. Let's get into this incredible episode with Bob Davis. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is an internationally recognized scientist in his field. He graduated with a PhD in sensory neuroscience from the Ohio State University and served as professor of neuroscience at the State University of New York for over 30 years. He has published over 60 articles in scholarly journals, lectured at national and international scientific conferences, and was awarded several major research grants from the National Institute of Health and the National Science Foundation. Since his retirement, he has co-authored articles in the Journal of Consciousness Studies and the Journal of Scientific Exploration. He has written three books entitled Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You, The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe?, and Life After Death, an an analysis of the evidence. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bob Davis. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Matthew. And please call me Bob. You got it. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. You reached out and you said, I think we might have a fascinating conversation. And I looked at your work and I was like, yes, yes, we will. Please come on. Uh, Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your work. Such in-depth uh, work you've done. You've been in the field for a very, very long time. So why don't we just start a little bit about uh, your background, how you got into neuroscience. You know, I love reading your bio when it said, in his retirement, he's written three books, 60 articles. So your retirement's going well, I see. It's, it, it is going well. And um, uh, I'll, try to, I'll try to go over my uh, own bio in a relatively quick manner. I, 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 for some reason, I don't like talking about myself. Uh, I'm not sure entirely why, but that's, that's the case. Uh, always had an analytical mind. You know, one and one equals two uh, and, and nothing else. Uh, that drew me into science. I found the central nervous systems, sensory systems fascinating uh, and 
thus obtained some advanced degrees in that area, proceeded to teach, conduct research uh, in, in the sciences, and um, followed the scientific method for decades. But all along, I've always had an interest in the unidentified flying object phenomenon. Let's call it UAP, unidentified aerial phenomenon, preferred term. Uh, for some reason, I'm not sure why. We all have that innate sense of spirituality, curiosity. We all ask those big questions. You know, are they coming here from there? Is there life after death? Uh, what is reality? What is life? And we'll touch upon that a little bit because my recent book, Unseen Forces, the Integration of Science, Reality, and You, attempts to do that, looking at the peak experience. But let's let's address more of this evolution of my life, which drew me here today, Matthew. Um, with that inherent curiosity about the, the unknown, and in particular the UAP, when I went to Sedona with my wife back in 2012, it, it was night, and all of a sudden, two orange orbs appeared in the night sky. They remained stationary for a few minutes, and then suddenly winked out. Well, that got more than my attention. Is, is that an intelligence from somewhere else? Who knows? Point is, it was, it knocked my socks off because it was unexpected and I could not attribute anything that I was aware of to associate with that image in, this, in the night sky that I saw. Call it a UAP. All right? That spurred my deep motivation to write the book, The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe. About two years after that, I had a lucid dream, a dream that feels realer than real. And in that lucid dream, I was suffocating. I couldn't breathe. The terror that I sensed during that moment was horrendous. It truly felt like I was suffocating. It woke me up, not surprisingly, and I knew knowing this, I knew at that moment my dear friend Anne passed away. You guessed it, she did pass away at that time. All right, that motivated me to write the book Life After Death, an analysis of the evidence. It didn't end there. I then had a so-called kundalini experience. For those maybe not familiar with the term kundalini, where talking about a spiritual, mystical, extraordinary experience. Let's call it the peak experience. Uh, and everybody has it or manifests symptoms of it a little differently. Long story short, I felt this sudden, powerful, energetic force. It's highly positive, joyful. I didn't want it to end. And that persisted for quite some time, but it had an after effect. Once it subsided, it left me with an altered state of consciousness or reality. What does that mean? Well, I was looking at the world a little differently. In a positive way, I felt interconnected with nature and the universe, closer to people. I felt joy and appreciation for life. Um, I didn't communicate with the deceased, as many do when they have peak experiences. Uh, I didn't have alterations of time and space, as many do who have these kinds of uh, episodes. 
But I had the impression of the awareness of an ultimate truth and the unity of all things. Uh, a, a cosmic kind of energy embraced me. I wanted to hug trees, and I did. I felt that, you know, that I felt that um, close to nature. It's almost as if, you know, it, it, I said, it's a living thing. Let me show it my appreciation. Uh, and it felt good. It did. It felt good. You know, that integrated in my life and associated with all those positive symptoms, however, was severe anxiety for a period of time, which is understandable. What happened to me? I was a little different yesterday than today. Is this psychosis? Should I see a psychiatrist for this? Well, I didn't. And it did subside after many weeks. But during that time, I read about the Kundalini mystical spiritual experiences, and I related with a lot of it. But that, that experience led me uh, on that e evolving path, as you can see. That third experience, the UAP, the shared death experience, and now this mystical experience, led me to write this current book, which I just mentioned, Unseen Forces, because I wanted to gain more information about what is going on with reality, with life, with our perceptions. Am I the brain? Are people seeing a different world or are they seeing this world differently when they have these kinds of peak experiences? I try to educate myself through my writing the, and if we look at the peak experience again, we're talking about a spiritual, mystical, extraordinary experience that's been reported throughout history across cultures and is characterized by various states of, let's call it altered states of consciousness or uh, my interpretation of reality um, is a little different um, than before. Uh, but it's real life. Uh, nevertheless, but it includes certain types of triggers for this peak experience, the near-death experience, the out-of-body experience, even, even experiences generated from psychoactive drugs like dimethyltryptamine, DMT, psilocybin, LSD can give rise to a peak experience, and even interactions with unidentified aerial phenomena and associated non-human entities with that phenomenon. All these individual types of experience reported by millions worldwide, millions experience one or more of these on an annual basis in the United States alone. And we don't have good incident statistics, but we know it's up there in the millions. Well, I, you know, I guess you can make the case that the, the peak experience is like the Walmart of the paranormal, uh, and we don't understand it. And that's the problem psychologists in particular should be more sensitive to individuals who have these kinds of experiences who are yearning for answers, but they believe with fierce determination that they pierce the veil. They sensed and experienced an alternate reality and they interacted with deceased relatives, with supreme beings and deities. Uh, they they report gaining um, significant insight and wisdom. They report the absence of time and space. I'm talking about all of these. They share common characteristics, differences too, no doubt, 
but there's enough commonalities among these, these types of peak experience triggers to suggest something quite profound, and we will get into that. But when they're in this kind of experience, whatever it may be, they have telepathic communication with beings that they see, and they report an increase in, 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 in uh, what, uh, intu intuition or psychic abilities, uh, and they feel that they are, again, interconnected with the universe. They're one and the same. Uh, and what is especially unique is that these individuals, by and large, are changed in a psycho-spiritual way, in a positive way. They become more humane. What does that mean? More humane, more compassionate, empathetic, sympathetic, more sensitive to the ecological condition of the earth. Um, they become more spiritual, less interested in organized religion, less interested in materialism, owning things to achieve happiness. Their priorities in life are shifted. You know, not so much money, but money's important, yeah, but it's not at the very top of the list as it may have been previously. More concerned about people in general and can read people better, but they seem to possess this awareness of ultimate truth and the unity of all things. Uh, and again, are these individuals seeing a different world or are they seeing this world differently? And that's the basis, the essence of my book, Unseen Forces. Holy smokes, man. <laughs> so you, you got the trifecta. I, I never really thought of it like that. You know, the, the three things you had the, you know, the very powerful lucid dream connecting to a near death experience. Uh, the quote unquote Kundalini experience, which people I think strive for and the UFO. It's like you hit them all and you did it as from the perspective of a neuroscientist. And I think that I can only speak for myself, but I also know personality types. And I know that I'm, I'm, my personality type is very kinesthetic and uh, you know, I'm very big picture thinking. So when it comes down to detail oriented tasks, I struggle with that. So hard science and things like that is something that I'd have to work towards. So it's amazing when somebody who is super detail oriented, scientific, using the scientific method experiences something that is um, not normal. It's a phenomenon. And rather than, you know, I think for me, like when I was growing up a martial artist, I was so curious in those experiences because I knew it was possible. I was able to go into a meditative state and experience a different form of consciousness. And then it would make me question the material reality. And I was like, I know there's something I can't explain it where science didn't go far enough. But now as I'm getting older, I'm really fascinated by what the science is telling us. So I think it's incredibly powerful, your experiences. And I'm just want you to keep talking and sharing um, what you found out, what your perceptions are, what, do you, what did you research and find that was most important to share and, and can we cre recreate these? I think a lot of people, um, there's a good side where they, they want to improve and increase and expand their consciousness and experience this oneness and sometimes they become ungrounded. And then on the other side, you've got this strict, rigid, scientific way. There's nothing else. It's only what I can prove. It's, this is the way it's always been done. These are my beliefs, and I'm not changing. Um, you've kind of got those two ends of the pendulum, so maybe you can address some of that. Well, you know, uh, meditation, as you, as you experienced, can also 
facilitate that that dual awareness, the dual consciousness, uh, achieve a cosmic consciousness, which I guess is the ultimate objective of of meditators, where they have this kundalini or peak experience. Um, and and you sense something different. Your reality, in some way, was was modified. It may have been temporary, uh, but or long lasting. I don't know. But it generates questions, which I do address in my book. Which the obvious ones are: What is consciousness? We, you experience it. I experience it. I'm sure many of your listeners have experienced. I'm not talking about marijuana or booze. I'm talking about other types of trigger events that that uh, are not drug related uh, that manifest in these kinds of symptoms that have no basis in logic or reality science cannot explain it science will look at it as a, as an aberration of the brain but it's not it's not because when, if people are psychotic they experience anxiety and depression their quality of life, obviously, is poor. They suffer, as well as others in their environment as a result, in general. However, the peak experiencer who manifests these largely different kinds of experiences that science or medicine, psychiatry may, may perceive as abnormal in nature, and we're talking about also state of consciousness. Labels then are given. Language, unfortunately, comes is a barrier. It, it, it impedes our understanding of what's going on. So they thought these terms are like psychotic, dissociative disorder, a, a, a dissolution of some type. But these peak experiences don't, don't behave like a psychotic individual. They, just the opposite, as I mentioned prior, they become more humane. They experience joy pleasure, happiness. Yeah, they have unique anxiety, no question about it. But their psycho-spiritual perspectives, their personal viewpoints, philosophical values are changed for the better. That's not psychosis. That's not abnormal thinking. Not at all. It's just the opposite. Yet, yet, science will still consider it a pathology at some level. Transient in nature, maybe, but nevertheless, they can't accept the fact that these individuals are now saying, I experience another reality, and people in varying ways, and it's as real as my morning coffee with a bagel. Well, what do you do with that? What does that mean? It, it, it obviously generates many questions. What is consciousness? And there's an endless stream of papers written on consciousness by scholars far more uh, intelligent than I um, for centuries. And today they're still debating consciousness. We don't have the criteria to understand what that is. So what are we talking about? We are conscious and we're trying to explain consciousness. Talk about the ultimate paradox. How can we ever get an answer? Consciousness, explaining consciousness. Well, you know, we have best guesses, gut feelings, hunches. Is consciousness, however, independent from your brain? And does it persist after death? And are you just a jelly-like mass of fat and protein consisting of 100 billion neurons with more 
interconnecting synapses in your brain between your ears. Is that you? You know, should I, when I say goodnight to you, should I say uh, goodnight, my son, or should I say goodnight, my brain? Um, you know, what are you? We, we have to raise these questions because experiences like this force us to, especially if we experience it, let alone, let alone uh, trying to deal with the aftermath of these transformative outcomes that are causing us to question reality, but also, again, generating a more positive behavioral outcome. The question is why? why? Why does the peak experience cause these transformations in personal philosophical viewpoints? Can it be explained by new principles in quantum physics? as many do, and I address some of that. I keep science down to a minimum in my book. Um, can the brain explain it? Brain glitches, miscommunication between the prefrontal lobes and other parts of the brain that mo mo uh, modify sensory input. If there is some kind of miscommunication, well, the individual may indeed have an inability to distinguish external from internal reality. That orientation problem may result in one's inability to sense space and time. It creates a type of unitive experience, which falls under the heading of a spiritual mystical experience. And just you can make a case, but not a strong one, for the brain uh, to facilitate these kinds of effects. But where in the brain is my interaction with deceased beings, uh, deceased relatives, and a supreme being? Where in, the, where in the brain is the fact that these people report to have telepathic communication with these individuals? Where in the brain is it that this experience alone, which may last for a few minutes or a few hours, changed me in traumatic ways, largely for the positive. In general, some people have negative experiences, but that's in the minority. Where in the brain is that? Are there, in other words, invisible connections between humans and others? And can humans indeed influence physical systems and other brains? ESP, extrasensory uh, perception. You know, if, if we assume, let's say, that one is able to access another dimension, another reality, whatever we may want to call it, interact with beings and the deceased, then it, it should be some kind of form of you, spirit, soul, consciousness, what if I, you know, all of these terms probably apply, they mean the same thing used interchangeably, too loosely. But you, whatever that is, whatever we want to call it, it's not, it's not bound by, by time and space. Um, in some ex inexplicable way, it's capable of doing this. And they believe it to be true. And the question then is, how is consciousness or you uh, facilitated by the brain? That lies at the heart of this issue. Uh, what is consciousness? And maybe we, by studying the peak experience, the essence of the semantic content of what these individuals actually experience, compare them among peak experiences, 
compare them against psychotic-like experiences, compare them against uh, the experience that a person with the skull removed and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, a neurosurgeon stimulating various parts of the brain, resulting in sensory memory uh, recall of varying kinds. Compare it to that too, to better understand the unique features of the peak experience, to differentiate it from brain alone events, psychotic-like abnormalities, um, to better understand what's going on. And what's really interesting is that current research is showing that, look at the, look at the power of the psychedelic drug, like DMT. There was a recent study done from, out of John Hopkins um, University. It was an online survey of over 3,000 individuals who experienced psilocybin, DMT, or LSD. Over 30 questions were asked of them. And of those who participated, approximately one quarter of them were atheists before they took the psychoactive drug. After taking that drug, two-thirds of those atheists now believed in a supreme being, a higher power. Now, if you know, that's that's quite dramatic. A peak experience generated by a drug is actually altering one's not necessarily religious perspective, but their a major viewpoint about life. To go from an atheist to now believing in a supreme being, the question is why can this drug taken orally actually create that major alteration in philosophical viewpoints at that level? Wow, well, not alone. And near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences do that too. Meditation can can also result in that, a type of experience that is so dramatic, so dramatic that the, that the person is changed from that moment forward. Not always positive, but the vast majority do have a positive, long-lasting experience that is transformative in nature. Um, you know, it, it, Western science looks at this as reality is sensory stimulation. Uh, the Big Bang occurred 14 billion years ago, and photons of life emanating from that Big Bang are just now bouncing off physical structures, entering my visual system, which is converts it, that form of energy, into a form of energy the brain can only stand, understand, neuroelectric, of course. Is that reality? Photons emanating from the Big Bang 14 billion years ago? Is that reality? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. It, I don't buy it. My gut feeling says, no, no, not at all. So Western science says reality is sensory experience. What you see is what you get. You are the brain. Brain is dead, you are dead. EEG flat, goodbye. Eastern perspective is just the reverse. Consciousness, in other words, is the ultimate reality. Whereas in Western science, you know, <clears throat> materialism is, realism is the scientific method. That's why these experiences don't sit well with, with science. 
those who ascribe to this scientific method, Newtonian physics. It disobeys those laws. So I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to study it. it it's woo-woo. And that's, that's too bad. That's a bias. It impedes progress. It impedes our ability to better understand aspects of reality that people are experiencing that may very well, I'm not saying it is, may very well represent ultimate reality and truth. Or not. Or not. But we're looking at millions of individuals who are experiencing this and are changed. It means something. Let's not ignore it. Let's manage, let's help them manage their anxiety, maybe depression initially, but let's try to gain also additional information that can better inform us of, of what we consider as perceptions as the highest form of reality. You know, what is reality? These millions of people are saying, I interacted with another reality that had these characteristics with these beings on it and I'm changed. Shouldn't that be reality? You know, what is it? They, they experience it. They, they're changed from it. What do you want? What do you want, science? Photons bouncing off of physical structures emanating in a neuroelectric event, and I go, aha, that's a blue wall. That's a cathedral rock from Sedona. And nothing more? That's the ultimate issue at hand here. So, you know, what, what is this all about? The near-death, out-of-body, unidentified area phenomena, meditation, psychoactive drugs. What, what, what's unique about all of these things that seems to give rise to similar outcomes, a similar experience and similar outcomes? Obviously, unique differences among them, but there's a commonality. Is that common unifying issue consciousness? You, who is, who is, who believes, based on these experiences, pierce the veil, touch that reality, and they believe it. They believe that they are no longer a physical body. They believe that their consciousness, them, you, I, I being aware of being aware, is independent of the brain. It, you know, if you believe that now, at a level of certainty that these individuals do, we can only imagine. If we believed it with, with that level of fierce determination, it would change us too. We speculate about it. We say, yeah, I believe in, I believe I'm not my brain, life after death. I believe, I believe. That's not the level of belief that these individuals have. They believe it like the back of their hand. It's a difference. And you have to believe it like the back of your hand in order to be transformed by it. That kind of cause-effect relationship. You know, I, and I've talked to people who've had near-death and out-of-body experiences, interacted with UAPs. Remarkable. Remarkable similarities. And, and it's remarkable also, uh, you know, we come in it with, with different personalities. We're all different. So these experiences are going to have nuances, you know, differences among the individuals. Um, everybody's different, but, you know, it, it interacts with the experience. You know, I know somebody who, who interacted with a, a UAP and beings, and because of that, they feel that the information they receive from that interaction 
about life, about reality. They believed that they were chosen. I'm chosen. I was selected. I am unique. I know the answers to life. They have this, what I, I'm not sure the term, but uh, a grandiosity, um, uh, a narcissistic kind of reaction. Um, um, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm now God kind of attitude and becomes belligerent, antagonistic towards anybody that will question them, question that the experience that they have and their perspectives, new found perspectives on life. It agitates them in, an, in a pathological way. So here we see a negative outcome of a peak experience. It can happen. But by and large, the positives, at least in those that I've interacted with, largely outweigh the negatives. Uh, and it's a pleasure interacting with them. Uh, they just feel at ease, balanced, lucid, real. Um, and their priorities are appreciated, respected by me. And I sense there is something uniquely different about them. They had an out-of-body experience, and, and they say, I, can, I move by will. I interact with this other universe, and it's wonderful. Now, look, if it's a delusion, if it's a brain abnormality, and it could be. I'm not saying it, it, it's not. I don't think it is, but I'm not absolutely certain. If it is an aberration of some type, and it doesn't represent an alternate reality and all that, give it to me. Give it to me. Let's, come on. Give me more of it. Can we bottle it up and dispense it in the water supply so that everybody on our planet can, can, can drink it and potentially benefit from it? Can't, you know, what, what, what is this thing? What is this thing that's rocking people's world largely for the better? That's yeah, a little risky, yeah. It's a little risky in some ways because it can have negative outcomes, indeed. But... <laughs> I don't see it as a psychotic event because of the positive outcomes that, that it generates. Oh. oh, man, you touched on so many different things there that are important. Um, and I wanted to kind of distinguish a, between a few ideas because some of these events, you say maybe like a, you see a UFO or your term, I forget. I wrote it down so I'd remember uh, unidentified phenomena, which, yeah, I've, phenomena. which I've experienced uh, and several times, and I know people who have told me several experiences and things like that where you see something that's just uh, – even my my partner actually saw – like, and she's not into any of this stuff and just saw – apparently it was a sun behind the houses and just in, in a small town and like we're in Cambridge, Ontario, and she just stopped and was like, what the – what is that? And she said, and I got her to tell me the story over and over again. And then it just it looked like the sun in this orb. And then all of a sudden, poof, just disappeared. And she's like, what? And this was like just at sunset. And so she had never seen anything like that. So an experience like that or a Kundalini experience, this is something that you like Kundalini is you experience it viscerally. Um, something you might experience outside you. Like if you see Bigfoot or something and you're like, oh my goodness, um, you're breaking the paradigm 
of your mind. And as a neuroscientist, you know much more about this than I do, but there's the understanding that you, you understand reality through whatever you believe. And then you just keep adding on to that. You keep supporting the beliefs rather than look where there could be holes or where there could be something more. We don't naturally want to do that. So what it does is it makes you rethink everything from the core and it's a very valuable experience. Then you've got like the DMT or a psychedelic experience that can induce that. So you're making the choice and you're kind of asking for help to induce a different state of mind. And there's a lot of research out there that is showing, um, you know, positive side effects of, you know, LSD and, and psilocybin and, and DMT, all varying risks. Also ayahuasca as well. A lot of great uh, reviews coming from there. But if you do research too, there's a lot of, there are some cases where it's not so good. So you really need to be, um, you really need to just do your own research, see how you feel and see if that's something that you'd want to take in. And then the last point that I just want to share for a distinction is the self-induced natural way. Can you do it through meditation? What are Kundalini teachers doing? Um, how can this be induced? And so I'm just imagining a listener there and I've had a few people come up to me and, and they'll talk about the podcast because a lot of people have experienced this. Sometimes life will just give it to you. That's, I think, that unforeseen force. I call it the universe, you know, the great creator, whatever it is. It's like this thing might go boop and all of a sudden you're in it. And some people really yearn for that and they feel like if they're doing a meditation practice or something that they need to have that experience. And some people will just like eat vegan, go fasting, do everything they can and then they don't have it and they're like, oh, why am I not having this magical experience. So um, I just wanted to share all that to hear your views on, on what you think. If you've discovered any ways that you can induce this experience through Kundalini, anything you find important there. And I like that. I think the unifer, the unifying factor for me, consciousness. Yeah. And it's a paradigm shifting perspective. It's a direct experience that's so far beyond logic that you have to literally rethink everything. And so uh, you know, they're very powerful. And I'm wondering if, if the person I would like to induce that, but I realized having these states, I couldn't live there. It's not functional. I mean, you know, there's no way I got to go to the grocery store, but now that I've had them, I'm like, I feel complete. If I get another one, it's like such a bonus. I'm like, it's like, I call it like a visit home. Everything is just, you are connected to the whole universe. It feels so good. And you're like, yes. And then you come back and he's like, no, no, I'm separate again. Oh no, but you're not, you just forget. And so that's what makes this challenging. But I also think it's beautiful because that's, I think maybe why we're here to experience that separateness, to, to grow, to be like Zelda, to have your own experiences. You know, I was like, oh, is this thing friendly? No, it bit me. Okay all of a sudden you just learn and adapt and everything were easy and perfect. It would be no fun to experience this. So back to you. Uh, I, I appreciate your keen insight and, and your desire to achieve a higher state of awareness. And, and the question is, why do, why do so many people try to do that? You know, I, I, I meditate. They should be teaching meditation early on in life, cultivating it and maybe we'll have a better chance of achieving that dual awareness, uh, that ego dissolution, uh, that unifying connection with life, nature, people. I don't know a, a magic, I don't have a magic formula that will induce these kinds of experiences. I'm not gonna say to somebody, have a near-death experience, <laughs> you know, right now, but uh, meditation, as far as I'm concerned, and other types of mind-body techniques 
like yoga, uh, tai chi, etc. Um, anything contemplative, uh, anything that inhibits external input into the brain, quieting the brain seems to be a very critical component characteristic of the brain that is unique in these different kinds of experiences. And maybe when your brain is sort of put out of the equation, you can, in other words, impede its limiting influence. It impedes you. It suppresses your ability to be you. The brain collects memories, and those memories influence our behavior. The past, therefore, equals the present. You know, the brain acts like that, and it's unfortunate. Uh, I have fears based on prior unfortunate events. That shouldn't be. That's illogical to me. So I'm, I'm a hostage to my brain, my memories, even ancestral memories are now finding in studies of transgenetic, uh, transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. Memories, experiences of my ancestors can actually even skip generations, manifest in DNA and be exhibited in offspring now. I may have fears because my great-great-grandfather you know, had some kind of experience that induced the change in their DNA, passed it along. We're held hostage to that. The brain is limiting. It's beautiful in many ways. It is, but it's highly fallible, and we don't understand it. We say we do, but we don't. It, there seems to be quantum processes going on here. There seems to be biophoton-like emissions being generated from the brain. And when we meditate, which I feel is maybe the best way to achieve this, this state of unity, the states that you're describing, in a natural way, not having to have a cardiac arrest and a, and a near-death experience or, or being, being held hostage to a UAP incident, etc., or having to take LSD. A lot of people do that. DMT is very popular. I'm not advocating it. You have to be very careful. If you do it, you know, do it with what? With a, a well-known guide counselor uh, who can take you through the process and manage you as best as possible. So you're in good hands. It's something you should not experiment with alone, you know, by yourself with a bottle of booze. Don't do that. Uh, it might be, it might be a good way of achieving this dual awareness, giving you truth. That's what they say. That's what they say. Not all the time, but yes, you're right. It is used to treat anxiety, depression. It, it may vary, uh, PTSD as well. Uh, they're finding it to be somewhat beneficial. Of course, more research is, is, is needed along all these lines. Um, and maybe especially DMT, like all drugs. In fact, they find these psychoactive drugs on, on, um, <laughs> you know, in, in pockets you know, uh, that are thousands of years old. That, uh, uh, you know, people then, in other words, you know, back all the way back, the shamans, those that lived they lived off the land. And guess what? DMT is in just about everything that's grown. So they were probably hallucinating more than you think. And maybe they, at that time, thought that that was reality. And they didn't know. 
now we're a little bit more advanced. We can figure it out. That's, you know, it's different and it's not, maybe it is reality. Maybe it is. Maybe it does give us insight into an alternate dimension, ultimate truth. I don't know. I'm not one to dismiss that as a possibility. I'm not embracing it, however, as absolute fact as well. We have to be very careful not to introduce biases to this. But I'm open-minded enough, especially since I've had these unique experiences, which allows me to be. It's easy for me to say. I'm not, I'm not advocating that everybody take DMT. And if you do, do it carefully okay, with someone who, who guides you through it. But is that the way to achieve, again, ultimate reality? Maybe, maybe not. Meditation? Maybe, maybe not. But I don't believe it's illusory in nature. I don't believe it's an hallucination. You know, when people have near-death experiences, there are so many nuances to that experiences that makes you wonder what's going on. In other words, why do they see just about only deceased relatives? Why don't they see, while they're having that experience, their neighbor next door? Why just supreme beings unique to their culture? consistent with their culture and deceased relatives. And what gets me are these so-called peak and diarian cases. They actually see people who they did not know had died. When they're resuscitated, they then talk about it with others and said, you know, I saw, I saw Gary when I was, had my NDE um, on, the, on the other side. Uh, and they say, yeah. and someone says, yes, Gary did die. And the person says, I didn't know he died but they know it from their NDE. That happens a lot. Why? Why? They, they have these experiences where they can retrieve such um, detailed facts during their NDE that they, that they didn't when they didn't have their NDE. Yeah, and it's accurate. What causes that? Uh, even individuals who are blind, Bruce Grayson, noted NDE researcher, he did a study with those who were blind, I think about 12, 14 individuals, never sighted at an NDE. Now they didn't see exactly like sighted people, but they had enough visual kinds of effects during their NDE to have accurate perceptions of their environment. That means what? They're not their abnormal visual system. They went beyond the limitations of their central nervous system and brain to what? To experience something that possibly is non-3D in nature. Okay? That, does that say that you are not your brain? Even very young children, uh, five, uh, four, five, six, have NDEs that are the same as adults and older children. And these kids, via studies, have shown that they were never told about NDEs, never explained, why should they be? You know, they come up with these uh, experiences that parallel adults. They see the deceased supreme beings. Wonder why, I wonder why. That again is a nuance that raises the possibility that the near-death experience is not a brain event especially the shared death experiences, the, <clears throat> like I had. It's like I'm sitting, writing something at the table, and I have this overwhelming, profound sense of knowingness that a friend died or a relative died. 
only to find that they did die. You know something? It's not that unusual. It isn't. Question of, of course, what is causing this transference of information on an invisible pathway? Maybe from the deceased, maybe from the consciousness or I of that person to me. This happens. Why do people in the dying process also experience, have, have, have deathbed visions of deceased relatives and they feel great comfort and ease? Why do individuals who have terminal lucidity, uh, what is that? They're in, they're in a coma for months, maybe years. Suddenly they're revived. They're lucid. Their brain is just about non-existent. They're, they're being maintained on machines for a long period of time, suddenly they wake up lucid and talk like you or I, terminal lucidity. Lucidity, it's a known term, it's a known event. And they report their experience while they were in a coma, comparable to that of a near-death experience. They, they have a, a minimal amount of time to converse with their family, which is to a great benefit of the family because shortly after they, they do, they then, then die. It's like they, they provide a, somehow a window of opportunity to say goodbye, despite the limitations of their brain. Yeah, I can't figure that out. Out-of-body experiences, they, people have veridical perceptions, accurate, accurate recall of events while they were uh, in a coma, let's say, uh, in, in environments where they should not be able to experience with their sensory systems. It does not happen often, but often enough where researchers say that this person accurately, re accurately recalled events in another area of, of the hospital or building that they should not have. And here's a person who had an out-of-body experience, and she says, the doctor, <clears throat> the doctor was acting like a bird just before surgery. The doctor was then asked, was told about that. You know, this, your patient just before you did surgery said that you were acting like a bird. And the doctor said, this is, this is a, a documented. The doctor says, you know, I have a habit. Every time I, I scrub for surgery, uh, I have to keep my hands uh, dry. So uh, I, uh, I have a habit of doing this. I move my elbows like this uh, to, to get some of the you know, the water off. And yeah, the, he's like flapping wings, and, which is what that person described. You have these kinds of events that are, <laughs> it occurs millions of times over and over in varying ways, but they are so inconsistent with scientific principles, at, but yet so believable and remarkable given the details of the, the uh, what synchronistic event, the accuracy of recall, the the perceptions that are occurring that are verified by others. Uh, it makes you wonder how could this individual do what he or she is doing using just the brain alone? We don't know how the brain can do this. Maybe it can. We just don't haven't found you know the brass ring yet, but. It's unlikely. We don't know where in the brain consciousness is generated. We don't know where the sense of I exists. We know a lot about the brain, but even 
even people like, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Wilfred Penfield, neuro, neuro, uh, neurosurgeons, you know, they, they induce memories of, of the past uh, experiences of light and sound and music, and, and even an out-of-body experience in individuals by, by stimulating their brain with electrical uh, conduction. Um, so some scientists will say, you know, it, it, out-of-body experience and native experience must be anatomically related. No, when, when you stimulate the brain, a person might feel a sense of floating, a sensation of movement. Again, that inability to distinguish external from internal reality. They lose concepts of time and space. That's not an out-of-body experience. It's out-of-body-like experience. And here again, we need to, again, develop criteria to better understand what these terms really, really mean. Sleep disorders. We all have, have had instances where REM sleep or dreams can infiltrate into wakefulness, hypnagogic uh, sleep transitions, it's called. I could be dreaming for a period of time while conscious. There's a little mis miscommunication in the brain, and, and people can believe that their dream is actually real. Uh, and that can re result in you know, misperceptions, misinformation, uh, and believing in something that really isn't there. So some scientists think that these events that we're talking about are induced by sleep transition disorders. No, no, it's not, it's not the same. It's similar. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's not the same. That's, that's the issue at hand here. There are such unique features of these kinds of peak experiences that separate them distinctly from brain events, at least that we know of. And, we, and then if you come up with the, the discipline of, of parapsychology and talk about extrasensory perception, my gosh, it's real. If there's one thing that I can, can say is valid, is extrasensory perception. I have no doubt that it is real. Uh, and the point is this, aspects of ESP, this communication on invisible pathway, is a common feature of these peak experiences. And quantum physics helps to explain, not that it does perfectly, helps to explain how communication in this way can be possible. Uh, oh, I, I, I've hogged enough of your time. I'm sure you have some questions at hand and, and we can move you know, forward from there. Please, please go ahead. Well, again, you just, you just shared a lot and I have a ton of questions. You know, I think when you're talking about the near-death experience, I had uh, Eben Alexander on, and he's a neurosurgeon and had a near-death experience and then wrote a book, Proof of Heaven, and another one, a follow-up. He's on the podcast as well, talking a, a lot of similar things that you're saying, and again, from a scientific background. And for him, he never even considered any of this kind of thing until that happened. And um, so I think for me, what I'm curious about is what – what conclusions have you come to or what do you hope to get out with your books? Like what's your intention? Is it that you want the scientific community to start to take this stuff seriously and look into it? Because from my view and my experience, a lot of the stuff I know it exists because I've experienced it directly and that was my pursuit. Um, and so that made me resist science in a little bit of a way because they were saying it's not possible. And I was like, you know, what? I know that there's something in me that is a little bit more. Um, and I've, I've, 
dedicated a lot of my life to figuring out how the heck to do it. You know, spending a lot of time in meditation uh, this winter doing cold plunges to see what that does. Um, anything that I could do to kind of raise my consciousness and experience it directly has is is been a pursuit of mine. And I would love to have more of a scientific understanding around it, whether it's lucid dreaming, um, you know, it doesn't matter. But my curiosity is always, um, what are the curi- what are the conclusions you've come to? What are you, what do you hope to get out there with the book? And how can somebody take any of this information as just a regular Joe, whether they want to experience it and how do they use it to improve their lives? And then as, I'm going to throw it in there now, cause this is a final one. Um, when you did your study on UFO and that kind of, um, phenomenon what was your most compelling evidence that said it exists and so you know just to share a personal story of mine again is that when I was younger uh, when I started to go down the rabbit hole I was curious why we had war started doing some research started seeing ancient civilizations started asking different questions and it always got to aliens and I was like nope I'm not doing aliens because that's just too much my friends already think I'm a nut I'm not going there did a little bit more research. I had a peak experience. First question that I had after that was, so asked a good friend of mine who had one as well. I was like, what do you think of aliens? And like hundred percent dude. And I was like, how can you say hundred percent? They're like, I've seen, you know, told me a story about seven orbs moving back and forth, uh, something really curious. And it, he said that experience changed my view there. And so instantly I started to take that idea seriously. And I have done that. I've gone to Egypt with the Resident Science Foundation. I've had certain guests on my podcast. Uh, I've had experiences that are direct. But you know, for that, for me, all it's doing is expanding my consciousness on a day to day. I don't know how much it helps, to be honest, getting groceries and being a good human being and all that kind of stuff. But I just wanted to send all that your way and uh, hear your views on it. I, I love it. And uh, I, I admire you uh, for your intention. And that's an important word here, intention. It's powerful. And we should cultivate it more and utilize it more than we do. And unfortunately, we don't. I admire your quest to achieve these kinds of expanded states of awareness. I I, I wish everybody did. The question is, why do we do so many try? It's, It's almost as if we have this innate sense of knowing that there's more than just the brain. There's more to consciousness. There's more to reality. And you know, this is cool, but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of downside to all of this. And there's a lot of negative besides negative people. Um, this is beautiful, and it, and it can be hell at the same time for too many, for too long throughout history. Things get better. Things get worse. Um, it doesn't make sense. There's too much of logic, too much killing, death, savagery, uh, destruction of our beautiful planet, uh, which is probably a conscious entity in and of itself. It's alive, and we're, we're destroying it. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to stimulate thought. Everybody's different. So that level of stimulation is going to result in different outcomes. Yes, I want to convince science to shift their paradigm from realism to something like idealism. Let's take the subjective experience much more seriously than we do. One and one equals two. Newtonian physics has served us beautifully for a long time. We have to use it, obviously. We have to. But let's incorporate. Let's also look at much more seriously 
let's also interpret reality on the basis of the viewpoints and experiences of millions of people like you and, and others who have these, uh, who touch other realities, who interact with other beings, who receive information from another uh, source, not a book, not the internet, but it downloaded to them as millions claim it to be. Many inventors like Einstein, Einstein, Thomas Edison, um, I forget the person's name, Ramam John. Let's take him for an example from India. I'm, and I'm mispronouncing his name. Uh, uh, maybe you know it, Ramanujan. Never took a class in math. Had dreams of math. And okay. his formulas are still being used by mathematicians. Okay. He didn't know how he did it. Through a dream, many dreams. The person who, who developed the periodic table in chemistry. I didn't do it, he says. It came to me in dreams. I purposely set the time, uh, the clock to wake me up every hour of the night so that I can write down my, the information received in my dream. Periodic table evolved out of that. It's not unique. Many scientists, musicians also get this kind of, they say, and they say, it didn't come from me. Downloaded. What are they tapping into? Akashic records? Is it this uh, semantic feel, as many say, that's, that's out here? Do we interact with, with some form of energy? And, 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 you know, you ask the question, and rightly so, what, you know, what did I find? Is there anything that I can conclude? Unfortunately, I can't. I wish I could give you that, that magic formula to achieve this state. You're on the road. You've, you've touched it. There's a ways to go. It's beautiful. I commend you, Matthew. I truly do. And by the way, your, your program with Eben Alexander was wonderful. And I had the pleasure of speaking with him. Oh, he, he believes, obviously, as you know, that he experienced another reality. And, and the person he met when he had that near-death experience, he didn't know it. He didn't know it, but he was describing this woman, I believe, and I'm not clear on the facts. He was describing this woman, unknown to him, who was his, his, uh, a close relative. He didn't know that she was a close relative, yet he's giving details of her appearance and what she's saying, and the people who knew her are saying, yes, you're describing whoever she was. Now, how did he know that? Again, these things happen, the nuances within their experience. The brain doesn't do that. Or if it does, and maybe it does have that unique ability, we just haven't found it yet. Um, but, but we should take advantage of it. Try to enhance human potential as much as possible by trying to better understand and cultivate these kinds of experiences that incorporate maybe biophotons, these, these uh, ultra-weak photon emissions uh, they've been detected, they've been accurately measured uh, on body surfaces, in DNA, in, in brain cells, uh, using sophisticated instrumentation. And, and with, the, with these biophotons, there's a torsion wave. It's a, like a form of radiation that connects uh, subatomic particles. It spreads throughout space, uh, radiating energy, and, and interacting, interacting very possibly 
with other people, other people's biophotons. Maybe this explains that invisible pathway that we're talking about when we talk about telepathy or when we see an experiment where we take twins, this has been done. You put one twin in a Faraday cage, another in another cage, electrical energy, for example, cannot enter into, the, into that environment. You instruct each one of them while they have e e uh, electrodes to measure their EEG activity, instruct each of them to feel a sense of union. Tell them, feel bonded, feel close. When they're instructed to do that, all of a sudden the EEG activity results in a synchronized EEG. Their brains, in other words, become so similar that experts in EEG interpretations will say it's impossible for this to happen. This is unique. The only way it could happen is if they're somehow communicating with each other. You flicker a bright light in one twin well, immediately alpha wave activity is detected in the other twin as if they are receiving light, okay? Again, we see, I can go on and on, talking about these kinds of experiences, studies, experimental studies that, that clearly reveal in my mind that yeah, non-local intuition, non-locality exists meaning I can communicate with others. I can affect physical systems in a subtle but real way, despite distance and time. And people have done this through remote viewing, sponsored by uh, the CIA, the FBI, and other agencies back in the 80s here and also in the Soviet Union as a means to spy on each other with some degree of accuracy. Where's the, where's the missiles? You know, how many, all, all of that, with some degree of accuracy. Um, biophotons, we need more research on that. And I mentioned this prior, it changes in its intensity as a result of intention. Meaning if somebody, you know, karma, we feel good karma from people, bad karma from people, what are we looking at? Well, yeah, we're assessing language, we're assessing their looks, their nonverbal skills, Maybe, however, also somehow interpreting that, that form of energy that's generated by them. Okay. That, maybe that is karma. Who knows? The, the, the essence of them. Maybe the biophotons is consciousness, a form of energy that may very well, may very well one day be part of the unified field theory along with uh, electromagnetism gravitational forces and the two uh, nuclear forces and bingo there is biophotons or consciousness a form of energy that must be recognized that must be cultivated for the good of humanity mind-body interactions healing we see a dramatic increase in biophoton emissions from the brains of those who direct their attention for the purpose of healing another human being. And, and there is some degree of success associated with that, with some people who are capable of doing that. Medical healings, well-documented examples. We've got to be careful with the placebo effect, of course. The recipient may believe that they're being healed, and thus 
can be healed. We see placebo as a very powerful, uh, positive outcome in 30 to 40% of cases. Doctors recognize that you know, clearly. Uh, and and it, that should too also be explored much more so, you know, to figure out what is going on. Belief, belief, intention on the part of the person. If their intention says, hey, the doctor said if I take this pill, I'm going to not have pain or it's going to be reduced. They believe it. And guess what? Yeah, it's a sugar pill. They take two of it every four hours, and what do they say the next day? My pain decreased or was eliminated. Belief, intention, there's something to that. There's something with that mind, body, or, or mind. We use that loosely too. Uh, intention, consciousness, ah, there's something to that. But what is it? What is it? Well, we see meditation. Uh, having a pronounced effect on bodily systems, generally positive. We see long-term meditators having an increase in white matter in their brain, a decrease in the size of the amygdala, which gives rise to fear, anger. That's a positive anatomical change associated with long-term meditators. So in a sense, you can create your reality. You can change reality. Maybe it's a slow process, but meditation is one way. You change. This is recognized, documented. You do change physical systems as a result of physical systems, meaning the brain, in positive ways through meditating. Why? And thus, it, why, it should be taught as early on in life as possible, aggressively, along with other forms of mind body techniques, meditative-like techniques, and to devise, develop new techniques that can can what? Access, bring about uh, a positive outcome in the form of human potential. I don't think we are fully aware of what us humans are capable of doing. We, we advance technologically in a remarkable geometric way over time, but where have we evolved spiritually? Well, we have to some extent, I will, I will, but maybe not to a large extent. We have our ancestors. Let's go back a few thousand years. Let's talk about the shamans. Let's talk about how they viewed reality, life. Uh, they thought consciousness was the essence of everything. Well, technology is cool, but, you know, the importance of what is important in life, uh, cultivating our in intuition, our, our understanding of reality, uh, maybe these non-physical kinds of abilities like ESP. I mean, we get caught, too caught up in uh, trying to achieve happiness through money, uh, through eating, and, and other means that oftentimes have too often a negative effect on us in some way. Um, our priorities are not appropriate. Why, don't, why doesn't everybody meditate? You know, doctors, look at this. We know that stress is a cause of disease, inflammation, in so many ways. It underlies all gastrointestinal pathologies uh, on the order of about 70, 80%. You know. But even though there is such a positive effect of stress on the body in a negative way, doctors don't prescribe it. Only 5% of doctors in a recent study 
say to their patients, you know what, relax. In fact, you should be meditating or doing something that causes this kind of relaxation, mindfulness meditation, 5%. That's interesting, isn't it? They're held hostage to the materialistic mantra that they learn in school and, and also the, 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 the um, <clears throat> employees from drug companies knocking on their door telling them to solicit this drug over this drug to their patients to manage stress. Well, yeah, med- medicine is important, obviously, but oftentimes meditation, stress reduction techniques, not chemicals, can certainly supplement, coexist with medicine, or be the ultimate and only proper advice to take to manage a problem. Unfortunately, our priorities are, are not right. We haven't evolved uh, as much as we should, and we will. And, and, I, and understanding consciousness, uh, mind-body interactions, um, through different techniques yet to be discovered is essential, and yet science ignores it. Medicine largely ignores it. Psychologists largely ignore it. But many psychologists are moving to mindfulness meditation, to their credit, and they should. Many positive outcomes from studies that are done in people who meditate, without question. Reduction in anxiety, improvement in their depression, not a cure-all for all, but it helps as a complementary alternative way of managing a very unpleasant, unfortunate symptom. Everybody should meditate. I hate to tell people what to do, but, but it's easy to say that because it can only have positive benefits. Um, uh, you mentioned the UAP study. Very quickly, I, uh, I, I did a study with some people on over 3,000 individuals who report to have interacted with unidentified aerial phenomena and associated entities like the little greys and human-looking individuals. And those were the two most common entities. Yeah, the reptilians and other associated you know, uh, types of beings that are, that are largely recognized uh, when we talk about the, that topic. Uh, but they experience, again, expanded consciousness. I left the body. I was subjected to some kinds of um, uh, medical examinations, but that's um, and, and and had telepathic communication. Understand what life is all about. Had expanded consciousness. Eighty percent of people who interact with this this phenomenon say they had an expansion of awareness. That they had telepathic communication with these beings. They said after the event, they be, they they're psychic. Many claim, in fact, to be able to heal others through intention alone. Um, um, It's generally a positive effect, not always. Approximately 75% of these 3,000 plus individuals who interact with the phenomena say that they are transformed in a positive way along the lines that we have been talking about, consistent with the near-death experience and the psychoactive drug outcome. In fact, researcher, Dr. Rick Straussman, who did the initial study using DMT, dimethyltryptamine, at the University of New Mexico back in the early 2000s, he and John Mack met. John Mack was the noted psychiatrist from Harvard University who believed that the alien abduction phenomena, he had a fight for tenure because of that, what, 
unusual, shall we say, belief or research endeavor. Uh, anyone, fortunately, unfortunately, he was killed in an auto accident in England, uh, not, you know, following that. But the point is this, John Mack's research, looking at the, 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 the behavioral transformations that people incurred resulting from interaction with that phenomena was essentially the same as Straussman's results in, in individuals who took DMT in many, many ways. In fact, Rick Straussman, I encourage your listeners who may be interested to look, look at a YouTube video, I can't, I don't have the address, where Rick Straussman talks about this. And he says, we were blown away by the similarities. That's, that says a lot. Why don't we continue doing research along these lines? Because why, the, why do we have these two dissimilar events, psychoactive drugs and unidentified aerial phenomena, and yet you, you get a similar outcome? I can't help but be curious. And I don't know why I'm curious, and another person will say, eh. Ah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go home and catch, uh, catch the ball game on TV. Take it easy, and that's cool. I, I'm not denouncing that, but you know, we have our priorities and interests. And to me, you know, to evolve spiritually, you know, requires us, I think, to ask more questions about this. And that's another intention of my book: for people to begin asking questions about. Along the lines we're talking about, along the, along the quest that you have, asking these questions about what's ultimate reality? Can I expand my awareness and, and become happier, a, a more humane individual for the good of myself and others who I interact with? That's a beautiful goal. You know, as opposed to you know, trying to increase your bank account and hitting, hitting a home run on some stock which is not a bad idea, but it shouldn't be an, uh, the ultimate objective. Love, and I forgot to mention this, and it's a big, big miss on my part. John Lennon was right when he said, love is the answer. They all come away from this peak experience with that in mind. Love is the answer. Young kids who have near-death experiences express that intention. Love is the answer in their own unique childlike language, semantic, semantic context ways. Love is the answer. Why? Why do they, why do they have that, that noted belief? Why do they express that? Love, not something else. And it's shared among individuals. It's almost as if they're given a message. Maybe it's an innate outcome of, of piercing the veil of another reality. Maybe it comes reflexively, unless somebody tells them, I don't know, but it becomes part of them. That's the point. They have that, that understanding that, that to them is real. And if they understand that love, they, and they feel it, that a pronounced sense of love that they'd never experienced before, that they yearn to have again, it's like something we all are aware of, where people who have near-death experiences feel such a profound love unconditionally. That can't, that's ineffable. You can't put it into words. You know, they, they, as a result of feeling that, and when they're given a command by some supreme being or relative to, 
that they have to go back into the body, they have, they have things to achieve, objectives still to, to uh, you know, express, uh, as we all hear from anecdotal reports by people who experience that. You know, they are reluctant. They don't want to because of that profound feeling of love. And, and, and when they go back into their body, they do have a sense of, of uh, depression. They want to feel that again. And now they're back in, in the state of pain that they were before. And they long for it again. Most people, 80% in some studies, who have out-of-body experiences want to continue to have it. We see that 80% of 1,200 individuals in our UAP study don't want the experience to end. People who are, are on their deathbed and interact with deceased relatives who are sitting on their bed or in the corner of their room or angels are flapping their wings about, as they say, studies say that this is more common than not. Some hospice workers say 90% of those who are in that dying transition say this. Well, if it's an hallucination, if it, all of this is an hallucination, great, give me some. I want to hallucinate. If it's going, you know, hallucination is a bad term. We ascribe that term to, you know, you know, something bad. Well, again, language and its semantic, its relationships are often, often interpretedly, often interpreted wrongly, and thus have a negative connotation as being woo-woo in nature, metaphysical, a new agey. You know, there's a, there's a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of uh, pseudoscience in UAP, in UAP. It's often, you know, you can look at it like a business almost, uh, almost like a circus if you go to their conventions. There's, there's some, there is some good science going on with that, but it's fragmented. It's done by a, a small select group, like ESP. It's done at the Rhine Institute. It's done at, Win, at the Winbridge Institute. We see things going on here where researchers are, are studying each individual thing, but in a very limited way with, with not enough money. What granting agency is going to you know, gladly give you, you know, $10 million to study unidentified aerial phenomena? I don't think NSF or NIH is going to do that anytime soon. Um, nor are academicians going to do it for fear of ridicule by colleagues. And they want to get tenure, so they're not going to rock the boat and mess around with something that's considered woo-woo, metaphysical, new agey in nature. Their, 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 their reputation is on the line here. So they're going to stick to what's acceptable by materialistic scientists, realists. Um, oh, I'm trying to stimulate thought. That's all I'm trying to do. I, I, I lost the audio. I can't hear you.
try it again. Is that better? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I can hear you. Mike just now. Am I back? Am I still good? I can hear you. Okay, cool. What the heck These things I happen with me all the time. And oh, and, and, host, and hosts will say it's never happened. And something happened on, uh, on the show I just did, thinking aloud with uh, <clears throat> uh, Jeffrey Mishlov. Uh, he had an experience, technical experience, with me that he said never has happened. I can go into detail, but I'd bore you and the audience. But these things uh, happen. Yeah, weird. Well, you know, what I was going to say is you touched on a lot of points there again that I think are great. And I wanted to um, bring up some of the points I thought that were really good. Like one is meditation in school. And when I was going through school, when I, I was I was doing martial arts as a kid, um, doing practices that were similar, I was connecting with my body, um, meditation, mindfulness techniques, things like that. And then I started to research consciousness and other techniques like lucid dreaming. Uh, how do I expand my awareness? What are the Navy SEALs doing? How do we create these peak states? And what I found was that nobody understood or, or none of this stuff was taught. And I thought it was so important. And I always thought it was weird that it wasn't taught. And that's my motivation behind Zen Athlete is that what I've discovered is that the techniques are not that complicated. We're just not taught them. So when you talked about your experiences, um, you know, and the results that people had from them saying they started to reprioritize their values, you know, that's such a simple thing. They started to realize that they need to be a little bit more intentional. They started to realize that they needed to be a little bit more kinder, to seek a little bit more meaning. And so in the mindfulness field, what I'm always curious about are the best mind-body techniques that, that are out there. But what will happen when you use them is things will just get simpler. You'll be more prioritized. You'll understand what your values are and you'll have the right ranking system. Like you said, you need money. You know, like doing the podcast, I need money and thank you to all my patrons. It helps a lot because if I didn't get that, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea how I've been able to keep doing this, but it's a part of it. But putting out the content was my highest priority. Traveling and researching was my highest priority. You know, exploring the planet and, and asking these questions was my highest priority. And I, I feel aligned when I do that personally, when I work with people and we're, looking at these practices, when they get their values set, when they're intentional, when they're just doing the basics of mindfulness, their life transforms. Sometimes they change their jobs. They feel so much better. It's really simple. So I, I agree wholeheartedly and what, that we need to implement these things in schools. And when I went down the rabbit hole of conspiracy stuff, I was looking at hypnosis, persuasion. And I looked at the school system and all this stuff and I realized and through my research and my guess is that it's not taught on purpose at this time or the educational system is just too uh, rigid and too slow moving to adapt to new information to put in the curriculum if you want to say it nicely. But if you look at universities as businesses and all the crap that goes down there, funding, you know, losing tenure for thinking that UFOs exist, research ancient civilizations you know, do some research. If you're a doctor or a scientist, it's not that hard to see when you start to analyze things, right? But there's no money in it and then it becomes an issue. So, you know, I think that that is, is, a, is a big deal. And so what I wanted to kind of throw your way is, is um, you know, I've got about 10 minutes here before I got to wrap it up. So I'm going to give you a whole bunch for you to you pick what you like. But in researching all of this stuff like UFOs and things like that, what is, what is your conclusion? Like when I had these peak experiences, I did not get the answer. I got way more questions. 
That's what I got. Way more questions. You really knew that I knew nothing at all. So what for you would be your big questions that, that you think are most important for people to ask for themselves? Um, your view on if this phenomenon is here, we look at ancient civilizations. You know, I've, I've studied with three different elders that have lineages of 20,000 years, all of them. The lineage is 20,000 years. It's oral. And guess what? All of them say the same thing. And this isn't through books. This isn't through what we get. And they said the same thing too about the UFO community and these things is we need to be very specific and uh, practical too, because, you know, before back in the day, there was only so many people channeling and having these experiences. Now you go to a UFO conference and every single person is talking to an extraterrestrial. Every single person has, you know, these experiences and we want to give them credibility, right? But also now it's a market. You know what I mean? So we want to be open-minded, but we also want to be discerning at the same time because then you're going to realize not everything is the same. And now it's, it's become a little bit more popular because, you know, even just going to Burning Man and the amount of intake I get from so many different people and I look at it and I'm just like, I don't know about that. You know what I mean? It's just like there, there needs to be a little bit of discernment and people need to discern for themselves as well. Because in the UFO world now, if you just look at that, it's just chaos. It's just craziness. There's just, you know, it's these beings and it's galactic federation. And then it's uh, the blue beings from Corey good. But then you look at this other stuff, but for me and my own research, the most congruent information that I've gotten is from the elders because they didn't know each other and they're saying the same stuff. And for them, the other very important thing is it's not fantastic. They're not trying to sell books. They're not really going hoorah. This is like, this is our, and it's a sacred thing. The other thing is they don't even really want to share it. And two of them are kind of in crap with some of the, um, their people because they, they're like, this is our sacred knowledge. And so if you look back in history and the work of Graham Hancock, um, look at some of my podcasts with David Lobear, Clifford Mahoudi, look at Clifford Mahoudi's work um, and, and other, and, and just look at ancient civilizations, Eric Von Donekin, um going through Chariots of the Gods right now. And it's really interesting there. Um, Jeffrey Dougherty, if you go to his channel about how he's um, basically reading the Bible from Greek and he's just like, after he's just like, dude, it's just one UFO story after another. And when you read it with that kind of technological point of view, you know exactly what it is. So what I wanted to do is just throw it back as a, like a summary for you and feel free to take as much time as you need. But all of that idea of like, if UFOs are here, if these expanded consciousnesses here, like what are the big questions you ask yourself? Why do you think they're here? What's, you know, all, all the biggest questions that I could throw at you and you think about, I just want you to kind of reflect on what you've come to. You know, who are they? Why are they here? What is consciousness? What is the meaning of life? Um, all that. Wow. Do your best. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I have great respect for, for what you've done. Um, I, I want to spend more time talking to you. I wish we had more time to, to share with uh, our discussion with your listeners. Uh, yeah, quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. More questions are generated. And maybe that's important to do. Uh, in order to understand reality, we have to know what kind of questions first to ask before we come to a realization about what the answer might be. Uh, yeah, I say the same thing. More questions than answers occur. Even though we're studying the UAP phenomenon and other phenomenon for so long, still, more quite, we learn a little bit about it, yeah, but we're scratching the surface still. And unfortunately, we have uh, too many uh, people who are clever deceptors 
uh, entering into aspects of this phenomena for monetary gain, as you mentioned. Uh, and it attracts people who uh, are not as well balanced as, as we like, and, 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 and thus it's re UAP research is regarded as a, a pseudoscience because we don't, people say I'm a UAP researcher, they know nothing about research. And it's a pseudoscience at best, despite the fact that there are pockets of some good research going on. But we're not going to find an answer soon. It's a nuts and bolts issue, but forget the nuts and bolts, man. Forget it. Forget Roswell. Forget Phoenix Lights. It's important these things happen, but let's stop the, with the retro uh, uh, analyzing things in a retro perspective. Let's be prospective. Uh, with our following research to better understand how consciousness is impacted when one interacts with the phenomena. That's my most critical uh, question about this. It's a consciousness issue. It's a non-physical issue. People are interacting with some form of intelligence and what they perceive as these little grays or human looking or whatever, that might be just a clever disguise. That might be a memory implant or distortion that the intelligence is giving them so they can, who knows, who knows. But this phenomenon existed just about forever. It's depicted in folklore, in the Bible, in various texts on cave walls. Uh, and people have interacted with it through time, and it's even morphed in shape through time, even from the 1890s where these UAPs appeared as the, uh, the dirigibles of the time. That, you know, we had the blimps going on back then. Well, these things manifested, they looked a little like it, but not exactly. They morphed into the Foo Fighters in World War II, then the, the Moon Men, the Venusians of the 50s, uh, and the contactees. Then the abduction, alien abduction phenomena suddenly sprung up in the 60s when Betty and Barney Hill were, were claimed to have been abducted. They probably were. Uh, but, but the alien abduction phenomena really didn't take off until Strieber wrote, uh, wrote Communion. And then people started looking at the cover and seeing the alien gray, and then they, millions were saying, that's exactly what I saw when I had my interaction with the UAP. The big head, the black eyes, and two two dots here, and a slit for a mouth. Humanoid looking, and they freak out. They can't believe it that it's represented here in the picture. That is essentially the same as they saw. Why? And why does everybody just about says the same thing in terms of the physical appearance of these beings? Of a, you know, there's a, a few different kinds, uh, but the messages that they receive, more importantly relate to consciousness, relate to spiritual evolution. And maybe they had a hand in guiding us in some way over time so that we can evolve spiritually and we still need help. And they're still here. The UAP is valid. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. The question is not if everybody's saying, is it real or not? Is it valid? That's not the question. The answer, we have the answer. Of course it is. Of course it is. The question is, what's the intelligence, intelligence behind it? What's their objective? And yeah, I'm curious, where do they come from? Another solar system, another dimension. We have theories in science that support the possibility of multiverses, branches from a tree, and it coexists with ours. 
Stephen Hawking, Michio Kaku, they ascribe to this at some level, um, and they give alternate realities some credence, mathematically derived, logically obtained, with good reasoning. Doesn't mean it's real, but, but we're touching upon it. We, we acknowledge the, the good possibility, you know, mathematically at least, that it exists, and we see the connection with the subjective experience with the theory. Don't you see? Let's put it together. One and one equals two. Well, that, that kind of equation doesn't exist with, with the, this complex enigmatic phenomena. Let's put that subjective experience of, of no time, no space, of a profound sense of love, of behavioral transformations as a result of the experience, and everything else we've talked about. Let's associate that now with theory. Does it, does it match? Does it make sense? Let's associate that with the behavior of subatomic particles. That's another area I didn't get into because there are a lot of similarities in the way they operate and reality and what people are describing when they have these experiences. Can we extrapolate, in other words, from the microscopic level of the subatomic world to human function and performance on a macroscopic level? on a cosmological level. My friend, colleague, astrophysicist at Harvard University, Rudy Scheel, now retired, he regards black holes as the neuron of God's brain. The neuron of God's brain. Meaning, there's an information field in a black hole where all events, past, present, and even future, which exist simultaneously, exist in a black hole, and some people may, may have the ability to access it when they leave their body, to retrieve this information. Maybe, maybe, but let's put this together. Why are leading scientists, some leading scientists, claiming this, making these announcements through their own unique discovery? Um, and, and if true, then it explains a lot about what we're talking about. If true that the multiverse exists, as many scientists explain, says it does, that says a lot about what we're talking about. Experiments in ESP, life after death, consciousness is simply different than the brain. Alternate realms, we persist after bodily death, and all of the above. In, in ways we can't even fathom right now. This is only 2019, and, and it is a lot of nonsense out there. We have to be very careful what we read, who we listen to. Uh, fortunately, you have leading scientists on your podcast. You do a wonderful job helping to educate humanity. Bringing that level of knowledge and communication to the forefront is, is a beautiful thing. It's like the highest kind of humane quality other than giving and receiving love and being compassionate, obviously, to others, but sharing those aspects of truth and knowledge. Some of it is bullshit, but a lot of it is true. And there are too many clever deceptors and sociopaths out there that ascribe to knowing X, Y, Z. We have to be careful about who and what to believe. Separate the sense from the nonsense. Very easy to say. We could easily be fooled. 
we can easily be biased through wishful thinking into believing something is real because we want it to be true when it's not. We're very susceptible to that. This is a delicate system, highly flawed, remarkable in its ability. Um, But yet, we're only human, and we have many more questions than answers to address. And with people like you, and you're very a unique individual, you truly are. You know, the question is, why are you doing what you do? How come you're not wearing a suit and walking into a bank behind a desk, you know, talking to clients? Instead, you're helping humanity. That's, that's where you, you come from. That's your objective, to help yourself spiritually in your own unique way. And, and in turn, as you develop, evolve spiritually, you can then better serve others. And that is the, to me, is the highest humane quality, trying to seek the truth. You are a true truth seeker. I hate to use that kind of term, you know, what does that mean? Maybe that, maybe that's an innate quality. Our ancestors were truth seekers. You know, why, why is the moon, you know, darkening, you know, in the shadow? Why is this streaking occurring in the night sky? They want us to find out questions to life. Well, we have answers to those kind of things, but we have many more questions. And we'll still have those questions. And those answers to those questions probably won't be, uh, won't, won't be achieved, found. Maybe when we leave the body, maybe, who knows, maybe we'll get it then. You know, we can only speculate. And it's in a way, it's stimulating and fun to do so because we do have a sense of, of gain that we're satisfying some inequality by just trying to find the answers, trying to share the information about all of this. And there's a lot of truth to it. There's a lot of misinformation too with it. And we have to be careful how we interpret it. I have to be careful how I express it. I hope people who read my book, The Unseen Forces, the integration of science, reality, and you. And I'm not, I'm not pushing it to sell. I get five cents on a dollar. Okay? I get five cents on a dollar. So I, I, I'm not saying buy it so I can uh, be wealthy. You know, I, I, money's not an issue. Buy it. Buy it for what? So that to satisfy me is my words satisfy you. And hopefully you can learn something or ask more questions or move on and read other books that are similar. And over time, you'll evolve spiritually too, hopefully. So thank you for all you're doing. And, and I know you're going to continue to do that. Uh, and that's, that's admirable. That's beautiful. Bob, well, I very, very much appreciate the kind words. And I remember, uh, I think it was David Robinson, or I don't know who it was, but there was a podcast once and it said, um, you know, what does it mean? I can't even remember now. I'm like blanking on it. It was something along the lines was like, what is uh, success? Oh, that's what it was. What is success for you? And it was when people you respect, uh, respect you. So I appreciate that from coming from your background and everything that you've done and having just such a wonderful mind to analyze these things and to pursue that even in quote unquote retirement where you're maybe doing some of your most important work. But yeah, man, it's been a great podcast. We'll have to get you back on for sure. There's there's so much we could uh, uncover and unpack and 
I agree with your thoughts and your ideas and it would be great if the scientific community could kind of pick up on these things and, and start to just look at them in a different way. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, the truth seeker part, because when I was younger, I just, one of the differences was I just thought it was all baloney. I was like, these politicians are lying to me. Something's wrong here. And it was, why do we still have war for an intelligent species? And then going down the rabbit hole, I realized I was being manipulated, that I wasn't being told the truth. And it took me a few years to sit with. I was in a little bit of a depression. I was like, I don't understand why this uh, system would not tell me the truth, why the system would be created to actively actually suppress me. That, mm. And then you go back and back and back and you figure out more of those layers to try to figure out what the heck is going on. Um, and that's a never ending story, but personal empowerment, freedom, kindness, compassion, following mm. your inspiration. Those are things we can all do now as we uncover more of the mystery, because you know, when we're asking those questions, what I've noticed is, is like a fractal. You're like, yeah, I got this one. And then boom, it opens up a whole tree. You know, it's like, Oh, it's, it'd be like discovering a whole new animal. Right. But then you're like, Oh, we've actually found a whole continent that has, it's got more animals in Africa. And you're like, crap. And then it's like, it's amazing. But then it's just like fractals. Like, okay, now we've discovered this new planet and it has all these other things. Oh, we found like, and now a thousand planets. And so it just keeps opening up. So it's endless discovery. And I think part of it is how can we, do, how can we enjoy that mystery while we uncover each thing and, and keep it with those principles. That's the core part that you're touching on your own inspiration, your curiosity, your value set and your priorities, you know, keeping it simple and, and, and staying open. So um, you can comment on that. I see you might want to say something, but I want to make sure that you tell people where they can find your books and where they can learn more about you and all of that stuff. And just thank you so much for coming uh, on. I, I respect all, everything you said. And, uh, and that, again, I've said it before, that, that, that is be beautiful. Uh, and that's, being a truth seeker is something that, that is uniquely special um, and, and should be part of everybody's uh, mantra. Uh, and objective in varying ways. My, my, there's so much more to say, and I, I look forward to being back with you, uh, and certainly to talk with you on a personal level. Uh, I'm sure I could learn a great deal from you. Um, nevertheless, my book, my books on Amazon, uh, obviously, my website is bobdavisspeaks.com. That's one word, bobdavisspeaks.com. Uh, obviously, information about myself and my books and some other stuff is is on there. I don't pay enough attention to updating it. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, in my 60s, so you know, I, you don't. <laughs> when somebody tells me, "Hey, go uh, upload your interviews on a, a YouTube channel," I go, "What? Yeah, you know, I'm still a little bit in that uh, that zone." Uh, so I'll turn it over to my kids. They'll figure it out. Nevertheless, uh, listen, this has been a blast, as I say. And um, this is what it's all about. It really is to uh, share your feelings and knowledge with others. And, and that's, that's great. Keep doing what you're doing, pal. I love it. Love it. Uh, thanks so much, Bob. You too, man. Well, we'll definitely stay connected. We'll get you back on the podcast. And um, yeah, you know, on a personal note, feel free to reach out, man. Having a friend like you would be great. Mm. And that's one of the beautiful things of the podcast. You get to talk to people, you know, when you reached out, I was like, yeah, please tell me what you've researched. That sounds amazing. So thanks for what you're doing and coming on the show, man. Appreciate it. Hey, it's more than my pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Thanks for watching. Peace. 
All right, guys, that wraps up that amazing episode with neuroscientist Bob Davis. Holy smokes, we really go down the rabbit hole, but with a neuroscientist, somebody super educated, exploring the fringes, exploring what's possible, human consciousness, really going deep, asking big questions. And I think like with anything, all these podcasts, everything you're out there doing, um, just explore with an open mind, but also do your research. Take a look. What is possible? What uh, information out there can help improve your life. What would this do? Would it allow you to think bigger? Would it allow you to um, improve your uh, conditions? Would it allow you more compassion, more empathy, more knowledge? Um, so just be a uh, uh, explorer of the mind. You know, don't be closed off. Seek understanding rather than seek being right. Explore other people's points of view. Why do they believe what they believe? Um, so I love that. You know, Bob is a, an incredible neuroscientist, and he's exploring these things. There's so much about life that's unexplainable. So what a treat to have him on the show. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Please take a screenshot, share on Instagram, share on Facebook, tag me at Matt Belair. Really helps to get the word out. Shares, Patreon reviews, all of that really, really helps. So please take a moment to support the show by doing that. Um, you'll have all of my love, appreciation, and respect. You'll have it anyway, um, but maybe a little extra uh gratitude coming your way so thank you so much um for those of you guys who are interested in coaching just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching there are specific i've worked with a lot of different pe- uh, people people who have no idea what their life purpose is people are looking to connect with their soul calling to live in their heart um i've designed a specific program just from that to move towards that because it's more of a direction then we tie in the planning the goal setting visualization law of attraction peak performance mindfulness consciousness training all that kind of stuff and if you're already a high performer i definitely Definitely have stuff for that too, working with pro athletes, with entrepreneurs and people like that. So if you're really interested in leveling up and you want some support, just hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. Make sure to sign up for the email list. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I think that is it. Do one kind act today. That's the most important thing. If you're listening to this show and you spend an hour with us or more, make sure you do a kind act for someone else. That's really understanding the message of the show if you can do that. So thank you guys. Appreciate you. Have a tremendous day. We will see you in the next episode. And let's close it out by coming to a state of peace and coherence all together. Wherever you are, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And just let it out slowly, filling your cells and muscles and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, energy, compassion, empowerment, and ready to take on the rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening, for being you. Have a tremendous day. We'll see you in the next episode.